The Lymphoma Voices podcast brings you a series of conversations around topics of interest for people affected by lymphoma, the fifth most common cancer in the UK. Hello, my name is Anne Hook and I'm the Publications Manager at Lymphoma Action. I'm delighted to be joined today by Tom Kerry. He's the lead pharmacist for oncology at University Hospitals of Morecambe Bay. Hello, Tom. Hi, Anne. Today we're going to talk about the role of the pharmacist in supporting people with lymphoma. So can I start by asking you, Tom, a bit about your role as a pharmacist and what this entails? I am the lead pharmacist for, for oncology at the NHS Trust in the beautiful north. We cover all haematological and solid cancer conditions. So I, I work closely with the wider group of, of nurses, oncologists, haematologists, specialist nurses, then I suppose more, more specifically within the, the wider pharmacy team as well. So our outpatient pharmacy, cancer clinical specialist pharmacists and their team, as well as the aseptic unit that is in charge of putting together the, the chemotherapies that, that our patients receive as well. Yeah, you said aseptic unit. Can you tell us a bit more about what, what that means? Yeah, so um, well, there's a couple of reasons we use we use an aseptic unit. An aseptic unit is a very big, clean room. Basically, it's it's pressure monitored, it's uh, particle monitored. It is kept as as clean as possible, um, as close to sterile as as we can as we can guarantee. So it's a place where the workers in there uh, reconstitute chemotherapy drugs and get them ready for for the nurses to administer to our patients. So the reason we want to keep it as clean as possible is because for a couple of reasons, the drugs themselves can be quite toxic to the handler. So so it's, it's safe for those guys to put them together to reconstitute and, and to assemble it than it is for, for a nurse to do it on the side of a bench on a ward, which which might traditionally be, be done otherwise. It helps mitigate the, the risk of, of infection to, to our patients who may well also be immunocompromised as a result of their treatment. So, so it's it's for their benefit too. Then also it's a, it's a controlled environment. It's a more steady environment with a, with a dedicated role to minimize errors when handling these very high cost medicines to try and reduce wastage and to look after them. If I can go back a bit as well, people don't always know about the professional training that pharmacists have. And I wondered if you could just tell us about the training that you and your fellow pharmacists will have undergone to be a hospital pharmacist or indeed a community pharmacist. Yeah, so pharmacists in, in this country will have a four-year degree. It's, it's a master's degree, so you, you come out uh, with, with a, a master's degree qualification. Before you then register and are able to practice as a pharmacist, you have to do one year's, what was a pre-registration year. We call it a training year now. After a year of on-the-job on training, you sit a pre-registration exam. Obviously, you have to you have to pass that, and 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 after that, you can then register to become a pharmacist. So you you're quite right that there's different career options for pharmacists. Traditionally speaking, there was probably two distinct roles. One, you'd you'd move into a community, and and everyone will be familiar with the, the role of a pharmacist within a chemist. But then traditionally, there was there was also that that second role of a more clinical focused career within. Uh, secondary care within a hospital setting. We hospital pharmacists work on the wards. We work with with the nurses, with the more specialist teams in secondary care. I guess up until the past couple of years, those were the two distinct roles. 
I think nowadays as well, that the role of the pharmacist is, is expanding quite a lot as well. So you have pharmacists doing their prescribing courses and, and, and are prescribers themselves and, and specialize and help patients more directly with, we've been able to provide the medicines prescribed by themselves. But also we're seeing pharmacists working in different areas too. So a lot of GP surgeries, for example, have, have pharmacists working for them now and, and their role is to manage medicines within those practices things as basic as repeat prescriptions, then also handling the, the ongoing monitoring of patients' drug treatments, handling recommendations from other specialists and, and, and other care providers. So so the role is quite diverse, or always has been, and it's and it's definitely changing quickly in the past couple of years too. And you've you've talked about the growing role of the pharmacist um, and how they're taking on extra responsibilities. And we hear on our helpline a lot about how people struggle to get GP appointments. People are now more regularly going to their community pharmacist. But in your view, will many pharmacists be familiar with the symptoms of lymphoma, do you think? Yeah, so I think when you when you to go to a chemist shop and, and, and see the pharmacist there, they will be the real experts in minor ailments, the, the different um, medications that you can buy over the counter within a pharmacy as well. Would they have a, a specialist understanding of lymphoma? Um, I think the reality is in comparison to lymphoma patients, haematologists, lymphoma CNS nurses, are probably not that level of expertise, no. But if, if they want advice on their medications, the, the community pharmacist will have access to resources where they can uh, guide and inform. And frankly, if they are unsure, then, then they will tell the patients so. I understand that it's difficult to get hold of a, a GP now. And, and I know that you know within the NHS, we're encouraged to, to seek assistance from others, community pharmacists being a, a, an example of that. So if you are signposted to them and they are unable to help, then they will you know, hopefully be able to guide and advise as to exactly where help can be sought. But but I think, you know, minor ailments, they are absolutely the experts. And, and often, if it's something straightforward, then a pharmacist, a community pharmacist can give good prompt early access to simple medications and equally good advice. If it needs escalating further, then they will give that recommendation also. But obviously, your role is within a hospital as the lead pharmacist yes. in oncology. Can I ask you about your knowledge of lymphoma? Yeah, so I, I lead for all oncology services at, at the trust that I work for. So that, as I said, that includes solid tumours and hematological tumours as well. I understand lymphoma. I, I understand the treatments that we can offer for lymphoma. But I know that a lot of specialist pharmacists across the country within the NHS do have specialties within hematological cancers, lymphomas as well. So, so they, they are out there. And how does the pharmacist specifically support someone with lymphoma? Yeah, so depending on their role, I guess, so, so I can speak for myself in that we work very closely with the wider MDT as a whole, with, with the chemotherapy nurses, with the haematologists themselves, uh, with the, the CNSs as well. So so clearly our role is, is in the provision of medicines. So when new medicines become available, we will access them, we will procure them, store them adequately, help build the, the, the prescription, how it's prescribed on the electronic prescribing system advise on prescribing where necessary 
uh, advise on administration where necessary. Uh, as I've already said, I work closely with the aseptic unit as well. So when injectable medicine needs reconstitution, we do all the checks and get that together as well. So anything to do across the whole role of a pharmacist with uh, cancer services is, is no different as well. But wherever there is a medicine, there is a pharmacist. And, and you've explained how you're part of a team. But are you also a member of the MDT? And if so, do you go attend MDT meetings? So I myself do not attend the haematology MDT, no. I know that some specialist pharmacists may do that and, you know, their, their roles may lean into that. But I think the definition of the MDT can be varied. We, we often talk about an MDT meeting where decisions are made on, on patients' care moving forward and, and decisions are taken pulling from the different specialists that are, that are in attendance. But I think by definition, an MDT, a multidisciplinary team, can also include the nurses, perhaps caring for directly administering, administering medications, the aseptic unit, the outpatient pharmacy. We are, we are all part of that MDT. So, so how are we involved in the wider MDT and, uh, and a lymphoma patient's care? Yes, we link in with, with all professionals at all different stages of, of a patient's treatment, again, particularly to do with provision of medicines, advice around medicines. Do you have access to patients' health records? Yes, so we can access that. Within the NHS, we have different chemotherapy treatments that you know specific patients qualify for, for example. So when assessing that a prescription is, is appropriate for a new patient, we will need to access their notes to make sure that whatever tests and checks have, have been conducted and, and have been reported. So I you know, for all patients, I access their notes, their histories, and to make sure that what medicines that we are providing for them are the correct ones for them. People with lymphoma are treated with various types of treatments, including chemotherapy, for example. And I just wondered about the role of the pharmacist, whether the chemotherapy arrives ready-made or whether anything is being done with the chemotherapy once it's in the hospital, if it's for a child, whether you work on the dose reduction, for example. So a lot of our treatments are dosed based on a patient's with the patient themselves, so whether that be the patient's weight or the patient's body surface area, for example. So because of cost, we will manufacture specifically for each individual patient. Um, often that's done within the aseptic unit for those such medicines. It's all done by electronic prescribing. Drugs are becoming more complex and we hear about things like bispecifics, immunotherapy. Is there more involvement by the pharmacist with these more advanced drugs? Yeah, I think so. It's, you're right, it's getting more and more complicated, isn't it? So the, the recently approved clofitamab is a, is a whole new class of drug. Uh, it's become available very, very recently. And we as a chemotherapy provider have got to satisfy all the recommendations made by NICE within the NHS uh, in order for us to provide for that patient. So with new classes of drugs, yes, we've got robust clinical trial data behind it to suggest that everything's safe. But it's never quite the same as as in, as in the real world, and we've got we've had recommendations of supportive medicines that need to be on hand in in the rare event of of reactions to new drugs such as that. Um, so, so it's becoming increasingly complex. The stability, for example, of of these drugs needs these considering as well. And so for us up in Morecambe Bay, where we cover a, a huge geographical patch, simple things like 
being able to transfer medicines, uh, chemotherapies made in the aseptic units over up into our hospitals at the back end of the Lake District uh, has its own challenges too. So, so I think it's great when we have new trials published, new medicines available on the NHS. It's brilliant. It's brilliant for our patients, of course it is, but each one has its own unique challenge. We've talked about all these very complex drugs that are coming along and, and they're getting more and more uh, personalised. And I just wondered if I could ask you about that a little bit, because obviously these are very expensive drugs. Can you tell us a little bit about the funding of them? Uh, yes. So this is a, a large part of, of the role of a um, cancer pharmacist. So all new chemotherapies and cancer treatments can pretty much be considered what the NHS describes as high cost medicines. They are therefore not available for everyone to prescribe and there's and there's various mechanisms and checks that the NHS is insistent we go through before providing these drugs. And that's that's for different reasons. One, uh, because they want to get best value out of these um, medicines to make sure that we're not using them inappropriately and wasting wasting valuable funds but then also and crucially to, to make sure that the right patient is getting is getting the right drug so yes uh, handling the costs how the charges are refunded is, is a big part of my team's job and we're forever answering questions from from our prescribers would this treatment be funded for for this patient and, and making sure that what we're providing is correct in terms of, of what the nhs is willing to pay for so i think that that links back as well to the use of the aseptic unit to having having a dedicated service that that looks after these high cost medicines high cost injectable medicines ensuring that minimal wastage is created and ensuring best value for the NHS. And Tom, would it be you or the haematologist, consultant haematologist possibly, who would actually fill out the paperwork to get those drugs approved? Is it done through a central place or, or is it hospital by hospital or trust by trust? Yeah, so the, so the NHS has a system that it uses um, for the management of high cost drugs it is used not just for uh, oncology and you know cancer indications, uh, but for for all high cost medicines. Um, so prior to the prescribing of specific what the NHS describes as high cost medicines, we we often need the completion of of a specific form that ensures that it's being used in the right setting for the right patient and it is most likely to have the positive impact that we want for our patients based on the evidence that we have for it i.e from all the clinical trials that have been previously conducted another challenge i suppose is people who've got pre-existing conditions and who are on other drugs and i guess that's not a rarity where does the pharmacist fit in with with that when you've got a patient that has got other conditions but is about to embark on treatment for their lymphoma yeah, so that's a classic role of a pharmacist, checking drug-drug interactions, drug-condition interactions, and, and we are always available on hand to check that if the prescribers need that help. Our haematologists and our, our prescribers are, are actually very good at prescribing because it's something that they regularly do. They're good at checking those things themselves. But of course, uh, a pharmacist being the, the, you know, the experts in medicine that they are, um, we have all the resources should that be needed in addition. And are you called upon to give it any guidance on helping with side effects that people might have as a result of treatment, um, like peripheral neuropathy or nausea, for example? 
Yeah, so to talk about those two examples, I guess peripheral neuropathy is, is a common side effect of a wide range of different chemotherapy treatments, not only for, for lymphoma treatments, but there's little, I suppose, that can be done in terms of drug treatments for that. Nausea is, is a good example where actually we can add medicines in to help prevent and help treat as well. So we've got a wide range of different antiemetics that can be prescribed in addition to patients' chemotherapy treatments. And then obviously the pharmacists and the pharmacy teams are on hand to provide those medicines, to give advice to the patients on, on how to take those medicines and get best value out of them. I want to ask you a question that's been troubling me for a while, is that when you see on packets, sometimes it says, don't take this drug and, and eat grapefruit, for example. Can you explain why that is? And are there a whole group of things you shouldn't have with certain drugs? So that's, I suppose, that's a strange one, isn't it? So with grapefruit, uh, the example that you give, it actually affects liver enzymes. So so the liver is, is responsible for the metabolism and breakdown of of lots of drugs as well. So so if you're eating grapefruits regularly for your breakfast, then that can actually have an impact on certain enzymes within the liver. If it has a, an abnormal impact on those, then the way that specific drugs are broken down by the liver are slightly less predictable. So that's the reason you have those warning labels on them. If there's warning labels that are particularly confusing or troubling, then I guess that's where the pharmacy teams come in. So we, we, we are there to make practical recommendations you know, I'm sure that everyone listening to this will understand that if you were to read the the, the warning labels and the advice labels on, on, a, on a leaflet from paracetamol in its entirety, you'd probably never want to take another paracetamol tablet again. That they're exhaustive and very detailed. I guess in practice, you know, you need some sort of sensible consideration on on what is safe for you. And so, if there's any concerns before you take a medication, then a pharmacist, the pharmacy team, is absolutely there to assist with that. What would your message be to patients who are going through treatment or experiencing side effects? How would you suggest they could make use of a pharmacist, for example, or or is it more relevant that they would contact their CNS or hospital team if they're if they're struggling? Yeah, I think we'd always encourage patients on chemotherapy and worried about toxicities or side effects from that chemotherapy to go through the channels that have been advertised to them. So typically that would be through a a chemotherapy helpline that's linked to you know the chemotherapy unit at their hospital or of course their um, specialist cns nurse um, and, and a direct number that they will no doubt have for them um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that that going to the to a pharmacist um, in that scenario would be the first port of call however if, if it's a question that uh, either of those two you know resources either the chemotherapy nursing team or or the hematology CNSs, if it's a question that they need assistance from from us from answering then then absolutely we're there to to help them and they'll perhaps put the question on to us thinking we've talked about clinical trials a little while ago does your nhs trust do clinical trials and are you involved in them at all yeah so we've we've got a big clinical trials team the world of, of cancer treatment being what it is we're lucky to have the the resource and the investment that we do we see a lot of clinical trials coming through so i within my role work quite closely with the clinical trials team whenever there is as we describe it a, an investigational product so a trial a drug that's being trialed um, the pharmacy team have to get involved so within our trust and with with other similar size hospitals you will have a trial specialist pharmacists um, and, and we do too, but the oncology team work closely with them and, and with their team to provide 
you know, certainly that the, the medicine element of, of each clinical trial. I suppose I was going to ask you, what is the most satisfying part of, of your role? I think anyone who treats and, and works within cancer, it goes without saying that the most satisfying part is when there is success stories, there is benefits sought, uh, seen from treatments. That I guess that goes without saying. That's why we all turn up to work each day. But I, I think specifically for me, I enjoy seeing drug treatments become available. I enjoy having uh, the new clinical trial data put in front of me and then it being my responsibility to, to move a, a positive, nice endorsement uh, of a new drug, being able to put that into reality to get that, make that available to our prescribers and make that available to our patients. If there was one message you would wanted to give to people with lymphoma, what would it be? So as a pharmacist, I, I enjoy taking phone calls from patients. Uh, we enjoy uh, having the contact with the patients. It, within my specific role, we work in the background. We make sure things are, are running smoothly for, for lymphoma patients and their treatments. So I personally am happy to, to have contact with patients and relatives to answer medicine-specific questions. And so I, I guess make use of us would be my, my advice. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it's ask all the questions you want of your pharmacist so that you really understand your, the drugs that you're being given, I suppose. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I know that the, the, the CNSs and, and, and specialist nurses always have their, you know, their, their mobiles always always there for, you, for the patients to call. And, and I work closely with, with our haematology nurses and, and they are regularly asking questions of us. Uh, happy to take those questions, happy to, happy to advise, um, you know, how to take medicines, how to store medicines, how to, you know, what to expect from your, for your medicine. Tom, thank you very much for uh, talking to me today and, and uh, shining a light on, on the role of the pharmacist. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Um, I, I saw that the most recent podcast that's been published is, is that of the, the guitarist from Def Leppard. So I think, I think I'll never again be mentioned in the same conversation as, as somebody like that. But it was, it was nice to speak to you today. Thank you. For more information about lymphoma and the support we can offer to people affected by the condition, please visit the Lymphoma Action website at www.lymphoma-action.org.uk. Lymphoma Action. Inform. Support. Connect.